Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. What's the first brand you remember making an impact on you back growing up in San Diego? Oh, wow. Um, Vans. So checkered Vans to me were like the epitome of like being with the crap, like in like the flow of culture as a high schooler in the 80s. You know, with with Fast Times at Ridgemont High being like one of the most popular movies, you know, friend by friend. I just got checkered vans. I just got checkered vans, birthday, Christmas, whatever it might be. It was like for me a pinnacle of cultural relevance as a teenager in Southern California with the surf culture, skate culture and and, and everything else going on. So I finally got them for my birthday. Um, but that was like the best gift I ever got was checkered vans. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO Podcast is Don McGuire, the SVP and Chief Marketing Officer for Qualcomm, the world's largest wireless technology innovator, with a market cap of about $210 billion and revenue of about $34 billion. If you use a camera on your phone, play video games, make a phone call, who does that anymore, or drive an electric car, you are likely using something Qualcomm invented. Qualcomm was founded in 1985 in San Diego, California by Erwin Jacobs and six other founders. Its name is an acronym for Quality Communications. Fun fact, Erwin Jacobs actually moved to San Diego in 1966 to help UCSD, University of California, San Diego, set up its engineering department. My guest Don has a rich career in tech, working for companies like AT&T, Sprint, Cricket, Intel, And he has come full circle to return to San Diego, where he grew up, to eventually become CMO of Qualcomm. This is my conversation with Don McGuire. Don, welcome to the CMO podcast. You know, my wife is a San Diego native, and I noticed that you went to high school at Torrey Pines High. I did. So I want to start with going way back. What was it like to go to high school, like right by one of the most famous golf courses in the world? Um, well, I'm not a big golfer, so I didn't really associate the two together. Um, it was more the tree than the golf course. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. 
Um, but it was, look, growing up in San Diego is just, was just a fantastic experience. Um, obviously the weather, the environment, um, the access to so much activity and, um, I'm not going to date myself here, but Torrey Pines was pretty much a brand new high school when I went there. Um, and, and so that from a facility standpoint, it was, it was, it was fantastic where I grew up, which is in Solana beach. Um, it was, you know, San Diego was much smaller. Uh, of the city overall. And mm-hmm. so um, it felt a little bit more beach town, surf town, you know, small. Um, it's grown obviously exponentially since since my uh, my high school years. Um, I did go away for about 12 years and, and went to college and then lived in San Francisco for about eight years before I made my way back uh, to San Diego and have been back ever since. But um, it was a it was a really, you know, great and fantastic place to grow up. And um, and so I really, I really enjoyed it. I can't complain at all. Yeah. Are you a surfer? Uh, when the water's warm and, <laughs> which is uh, not very often, which is uh, yeah. So I'm a little bit of a, of a, of a weenie of a surfer, but, um, I do enjoy it. I love the water. I love the ocean. Um, and so I don't, don't get out as probably as often as maybe I should, but, uh, but I do get out at least a couple times a season. So where did your interest in tech sort of start? Was it back in high school? Did you have any idea back then that you wanted to be in technology? You had a bend toward that? Actually, I mean, no. In high school, wow. Uh, high school, I think I was as lost as most high schoolers are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I was just trying to get through, <laughs> right? Just get through the days and and, uh, and all the, the different dynamics that high school brings. Um, and and I, even when I went to college, I, I think I went in as a freshman undeclared. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't really decide to move into the business school until, you know, my end of my sophomore year. And and within that context, I knew that I, I had an affinity for marketing. Um, I, I really enjoyed I took a consumer behavior class. And I remember that sort of really triggered it for me. Um, and I really enjoyed that class. It was very interesting. The professor was very dynamic. And um and so that's when I decided, okay, this this could be an interesting path for me to take. So it was really uh, about marketing and my affinity towards brain, you know, understanding what the emotional side as well as the science side of what connects people to the things that they they buy or that they desire or um, or that you know sort of you know make them feel good um, and and they bring into their lives. From a, from a product standpoint, that really sort of got me interested in marketing. And so from there, after I, you know, when, once I graduated from college, I just decided, you know, that I wanted to pursue something in the marketing area. And at that time, it was really difficult to get a entry-level marketing job. Um, mm-hmm. Most of the positions, you know, when I went to the recruiting office and uh, at my university and uh, wanted to, to start the interview process, most of the positions were in sales. Um, and so I, I did the interview thing on campus. Really nothing, again, spoke to me. Uh, so I decided to do what uh, a lot of people do. And I decided to backpack across Europe for seven months. <laughs> and, That's a good and, choice. And kind of find myself. And, and really, I was not ready to make a decision on, on what I wanted to do uh, for the long term. So I convinced my parents to uh, get me a URL pass and a plane ticket. And uh, I, I, I traveled and backpacked around Europe um, and slept on park benches and rooftops and 
you know, sketchy youth hostels and a bunch of different places. Um, and But I had the time of my life. And I, I always have had affinity for travel. Um, I went to school abroad uh, while I was in college in Florence, Italy. So I really, I really love to travel and I'm not afraid to experience new cultures. And, and even if I don't understand the language, I'm not afraid to sort of find my way. So I really enjoyed that part. And I think it was a good break for me to kind of go away, travel around and uh, make new friends and experience new cultures and, and see the, you know, the world, quote unquote, a little bit. Uh, and then when I came back, I felt more settled. Um, and it was really my father who, you know, kind of we're eating dinner and I had come back from, from Europe and, and, you know, I moved back in with my parents um, for as short of time as possible. Um, but I, I was talking to my father and he, you know, just brought the conversation. What are you going to do? <laughs> what <laughs> do you sure want? Because <laughs> you're not going to stay here uh, for the rest of your life. Um, and I, I just said, I have no idea. And he said, well, you know what? And my father was in telecom. Uh, most of his career, uh, both, you know, between kind of aerospace and telecom and on the networking side, on the infrastructure side. Mm -hmm. And I really had no idea, you know, kind of what he did from a product perspective, but he had worked his way up the kind of corporate ladder and he had run several different companies. And um, I knew he was successful and I knew it was in the telecom space, but that's about all I knew. And so he said, look, there's this, you know, new category of, of telecommunications or communications it's really hot and, it, and it's growing and it's, it's called cellular. And so I was, you know, kind of caught off guard a little bit. And I said, what, you mean like car phones? Uh, because at that time, that set the manifestation of yeah. cellular was an in-car, you know, three-watt car phone. And he said, yeah, you know, the cellular industry is really going to take off. And I said, you know, dad, I've got a college degree. I don't think I want to go to an auto stereo store and sell, you know, sell car phones. Uh, he said, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. Why don't you look at the companies that are providing the service um, and building out the networks? He was very smart, very prescient. Yeah. So, uh, so I said, hmm. So I actually, he gave me, a, I think it was a Time magazine or maybe a Fortune magazine. And on the cover was Craig McCaw. And uh, he was a, it was a picture of Craig McCaw. And he had a snake around his head. And I was like, well, this looks like a cool guy. Like he's wearing a snake around his head. So I read the article and it talked about how he, you know, when he was at Stanford, he took over the vending um, sort of franchise and the dorms. And then he left and he took all of his father's cable assets and he parlayed them into dollars to go out and buy spectrum to kind of build a, a cellular and wireless network. And I said, you know what? This would be a cool guy to work for. He seems like a really cool guy. Um, and it was more in, in, he, it was more about him being an inspiration um, as like a cool person to go work for. And at the time, less about the technology. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, but I said, sounds cool. So I actually went back up to my university, to the Career Center. And it just turns it turns out that there was a letter from the California, Nevada region of Macaw Cellular uh, saying any you know, recent grads interested in positions, you know, apply here. So I applied for a sales position uh, and I got a sales job with Macaw Cellular and I was positioned in Monterey County. That was my territory. Uh, not bad. So, not bad. So I sold, you know, $2,000 Motorola Tough Talkers to farmers in the Salinas Valley uh, for two years. And I learned all about sort of 
wireless networks and cellular service and cell phones um, and by carrying a, a bag and, and starting out in sales, which I highly recommend. I think everyone should have a sales job once in their, in their life because it really teaches you how to handle rejection, number one, um, and a lot of other life skills. Um, and that's how I got started in wireless and in, in cellular was working as a salesperson, um, a direct salesperson, you know, in my car, driving around the Salinas Valley with boots on, selling, you know, $2,000 cell phones with service that costs about $45 a month and 45 cents a minute at that time uh, to farmers in the Salinas Valley, to, mm. you know, field supervisors and ag brokers and all sorts of other people. And I got a lot of lettuce out of that deal. Um, <laughs> Paid in know, lettuce. Yeah. Played in lettuce and broccoli. So what did, what, Don, what did you learn? You learned rejection, of course, but those yeah. first jobs are always so critical and fundamental. What else did you learn about yourself, about leadership, about marketing, about sure. sales in those kind of very interesting early years? Yeah. Well, perseverance for sure. Mm. Um, you know, on top of that rejection thing is you know, because you have to almost get 10 no's before you get a yes, right? So you have to like, you have to persevere and you've, you've got the pressure of a quota, um, you know, kind of hanging over your head. Um, your your income is directly driven by how successful you are in doing your job. Um, so there was a lot of different, you know, tension points and pressure points mm -hmm. that taught me a lot about, you know, life and and personal responsibility and and drive and determination. Um, that's another thing that kind of comes with that having to be hungry and hunt for your food, uh, so to speak. Right. And so, so I love that part of it. I did not want to be a career salesperson. I still had this affinity and this love for marketing. So I was always looking ahead towards how do I make my way, um, out of this, you know, sort of great experience. I, I understand the product really well. Now I understand how to talk about it. Um, I understand the audience because I'm with them every day. Uh, all really key ingredients to being a good marketer. And so, uh, but I was always looking, how do I get from here to there? And um, it turns out that, and I'm always, I've always been a person that when a window of opportunity opens up, I kind of jump through it first and ask questions later. And so, um, and maybe that's good and maybe that's bad, but uh, there was a, um, a new position that was opening up in my region um, that was a voicemail product manager. And, uh, and voicemail was the new product that was coming out on cell phones. That's what really helped me transition from sales to marketing is, is becoming this product manager around voicemail. Um, and then I moved into general marketing roles. And, and the good thing about where I was is um, it was a very small territory within the Macaw Cellular kind of kingdom. Um, and so I had to do everything myself. I had to buy, I had to learn how to buy media. I had to learn how to negotiate media. I had to learn how to write press releases. Um, I had to learn all the different aspects of marketing because I had to do it myself. I didn't have a team. I was like the sole marketer for an entire, you know, territory. And, and so I got, it was a little bit of an education kind of by fire. And, and I, I have to say a lot of, uh, there were a lot of people that helped me along the way, a lot of media salespeople that helped me sort of learn, you know, how to buy television or how to buy print. Um, a lot of, you know, a lot of PR agencies that kind of helped me learn how to write a press release. And, and so um, that was like my training ground. Um, and I think it was super valuable because I think if you have to actually, um, you know, experience and, and, and do a, a, a lot of, a lot of the, the marketing mix yourself, 
Um, mm-hmm. You don't have a lot of agency support. You don't call, pick up the phone and call, you know, McCann or Mindshare or whatever and say, hey, put, put together a media plan for me. You know, that comes much later in your career. You know, there are several ways to get to marketing leadership roles. And I'm not saying you have to be an expert in every part of the mix to get there. Yeah, everybody has their strengths and everybody has their, their weaknesses. Um, but I think my, my fundamental understanding of, of a broad part of the marketing mix because of my experience allowed me to really sort of have a, a, a really strong foundation to be able to build upon and help me kind of navigate my career, um, you know, sort of up through the marketing sort of arena from company to company. Um, to get to where I am today, which is like the dream job I could ever want in my life. Uh, we'll talk be, about that in a minute. Yeah. But which, what I, you know, what I want to reinforce from what you just said is you did learn early on that marketing is about driving the business. Absolutely. It's about building a brand, but it's also about building revenue and building growth and understanding people so yeah. that you can delight them with what you're offering. That's such a fundamental lesson. And, and it's, it's just not present in as many companies as it needs to be. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, the, there's the sexy side of marketing, right? There's the shiny objects. Yep. There's the cool yep. assets that you create, um, and there's the, you know the building, the brand building effort, which which is important. You know, brand value obviously adds enter- to enterprise value. Mm-hmm. But you, I never want to have a marketing je- objective that's not tied to a business objective. Um, yep. If I'm not helping drive the business, if my team's not helping drive the business, um, then I have to ask myself the question: you know, what are we doing? And I think in this day and age, especially uh, in tech marketing, right, it, it's you don't have the opportunity or you don't have the luxury of of frivolous marketing, uh, you know, or just doing things to do things. And, you know, if I wanted to be an artist, I'd be an artist. Right. Um, but unfortunately or fortunately, the, the, the art part and the creative part of marketing has to have a purpose. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that purpose is, is, is an end goal to whatever uh, objective you're trying to achieve, um, whether it's, you know, more of a, a, a tangible objective or an intangible objective, you still have to have objectives. So mm-hmm. you're absolutely spot on, um, Jim, as, as, as far as like learning that marketing has to drive the business or else, you, you know, the value gets questioned. And I think that's, um, you know, maybe that's why the, uh, the tenure of CMOs is not really long, yeah. right? Yeah. It's because maybe there's just not a lot of, maybe there's less CMOs that understand that than, the, than there should be. I don't know, but um, I've always had that kind of fundamental belief that marketing objectives have to be tied to business objectives and I have to be a partner to the business. Um, I'm not an isolated group, right? I'm not off just doing my own things, brand for brand's sake, marketing for marketing's sake. I have to be integrated in the business. My team has to be integrated in the business. We have to have a fundamental understanding of what the business is trying to achieve. And then we have to go out and help them achieve that through marketing. Um, and that's kind of the recipe, I think, that, that uh, I've sort of subscribed to. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. We're going to get into that in a minute. We're going to talk about Qualcomm and your role there. But 
Before we do that, we are recording this in January. It is the CES month, the Consumer Electronics Show month. I watched your CEO's video at CES this year. Very impressive. So were you there this year in person, Don? I was. You you were. Was there any innovation or any person that you met, any company that you met this year that was especially interesting for you at CES? You know, CES has become big automotive, right, In in, in in recent years. Um, so, you know, Mary Barra obviously gave a keynote. Um, she was kind enough to mention our partnership uh, around our Snapdragon digital chassis and, and how it's manifesting itself and the work we're doing with them, to, you know, both on the Cadillac Lyric, but beyond across the GM suite of vehicles to bring Super Cruise and Ultra Cruise and, 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 and enhance safety and, and enhance driving experiences to GM cars. Um, so that was great. It was a great tie in. It was a great moment, I think, for her and for us. So. Um, we had a lot of integration within the show, which was nice. And we, you know, we basically focused a lot on automotive as well. We had a lot of announcements. Um, so, uh, around that part of our business and, and again, as part of our diversification strategy, automotive is a big piece of that story. And one of the things that was great about Christian, you mentioned Cristiano's speech and how impressive it was, is one of the things that I've really, um, been excited about as. Cristiano became CEO in July, July 1st of 2021. I became CMO July 9th of 2021. So we sort of ascended together and, you know, he then proceeded to roll out his vision for the company for the next 10 years, right? Qualcomm kind of 2.0 or for the next decade, however you want to phrase it. Uh, and one of the most exciting and challenging and, op- and opportunistic things for me as the CMO is, is to help him tell that story right, to the world, to all the different audiences that we need to tell it to, whether it's the financial investor community, whether it's to our customers, to ecosystems, or even to, to consumers when it comes to the Snapdragon part of, of, our, of our story, uh, telling efforts. Um, that's really been exciting and fun and new. And, and we started that journey um, with an internal rollout in, around late summer, and then we released it to the world at Investor Day in November in New York City. Um, and then we've continued this drumbeat um, through our Snapdragon Tech Summit in Hawaii in December, and then rolled that into CES. So it was another, his, his press conference was another opportunity to tell that story about diversification and growth for the company, um, this, this idea of the connected intelligent edge, and how, you know, we're the company that's going to be sort of powering that, and then how these different growth vectors fit into that, whether it's automotive, whether it's the metaverse, whether it's PC compute, or whether it's our continued growth in mobile, all those pieces of the puzzle, how that helps us tell our story. So another platform for him to do that. I think he did a fantastic job. His energy was like Mach 11. Yeah, um, yeah I agree. You know, I agree. Because he fed off the crowd. And, yeah. and that's the type of speaker he is. He's super charismatic and a little bit of that Brazilian in him, right? He's mm-hmm. just really, really great in front of a crowd. So he was very excited. And I think he was so appreciative to see the the people in the audience when he walked out on stage. And, but that was, a, you know, another, again, another opportunity for us to tell our story. Um, Cristiano loves, you know, he's a very externally facing CEO. He loves to talk to media. He loves to do speakerships and keynotes. Um, and, and he loves to tell the Qualcomm story. And mm-hmm. he's very passionate about it. And it comes through. Right? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay on that for a moment. You, you've been at Qualcomm five and a half years. CMO right. for about six months, about the same time as right. Cristiano has been CEO. And we've had a lot of tech companies on this show. Yours is perhaps the techiest. <laughs> and <laughs> and you've, you've already started telling the Qualcomm story. But for those who are not deep in technology who are listening, could you t- talk a bit more about Qualcomm, its purpose, 
and its importance in the world? Sure, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, I, I talked about the connected intelligent edge, which is sort of our new, If you know, if I had to ride up in an elevator with someone and they said, mm -hmm. hey, what do you do, Don? And I said, I work for Qualcomm. Oh, I've never heard of Qualcomm. What does Qualcomm do? Um, our, our sort of new um, statement is, well, we enable a world where everyone and everything can be intelligently connected all the time. Um, wow, that sounds exciting. What does that mean? You know, and then you can have a conversation from there. So that's kind of our, our buzz mm -hmm. line. Um, if, you, if you have, you know, five seconds or a tweetable, a tweetable moment. Um, but what, what's behind that is it's a combination of our history and DNA, right? Where, you know, historically, we're this company of inventors and engineers and techie geeks that just like creating things that not only are, are, are cool, but they're life-changing and society-changing and technology that's created this, this new world of, st of staying connected. And nothing, you know, connectivity has never been more important than in the last two years that we've just lived through. Right. Connectivity has been like water. It's been like electricity. Mm -hmm. People had to stay connected and they couldn't stay connected in the way that they were used to staying connected. And, and so, you know, our what we've been doing for the past 35 years and, and everything that we've done and pouring millions and millions and billions of dollars into R&D to create these opportunities to connect people and then connect people to things and then connect things to things um, has never been proven out as important to ourselves, to others, and to the world around us as in the last 24 months. Um, because everybody had to shift how they connected with their family, with their friends, with their jobs, with their school, um, and with you know, their lives. And, and so it was, it's, it, it's really an interesting phenomenon. It's hugely unfortunate the way it came about, but it puts an, an exclamation point on the importance of Qualcomm. Um, without us, you know, you're, there would be no smartphone, uh, right? Without us, there would not be cars that are going to be able to drive themselves, right? And, and, and entertain you as well as inform you as you're moving through your journey in that vehicle. Without us, there wouldn't be, you know, the connectivity fabric that's being built around the world, which is you know this next generation of wireless technology, which is known as 5G. Um, there would not be on-device intelligence that enables your camera experience to be better, or enables your voice uh, experience to be better as you're interacting interacting with your devices, whether it's in your home, whether it's on the go. Without us, none of this would exist. And for a long time, Qualcomm, because you mentioned this really great point, Jim, which is we're a company and we've been a company of engineers and. We really didn't care about beating our own chest. It was about, hey, we're creating cool stuff. Other people invent on top of it. Other people innovate on top of it. And that's good enough for us. So it's always, mm -hmm. it's, it's always been about the ecosystem. It's always about being open and, and, and creating open platforms that then allow other people to innovate on top of what we do. And we've been okay in the past with just staying in the background and hanging back. Um, but that works when you don't have any competition. Right. That works when when um, when you when when you don't have people coming after you trying to control the narrative. Right. And so what we learned and this happened all sort of within three months of me joining Qualcomm. Right. Uh, I remember my last interview and the person I interviewed with said, you know, Don, I really believe the best days of Qualcomm are ahead of me, are ahead of us. And I was like, wow, I'm so excited to be joining the company. And then kind of all hell broke loose. <laughs> right. And, you know, we had. Now, on the one side, we were going to you know, acquire this big company called NXP. But on the other side, 
We had FTC investigation. We had Apple litigation. We had, you know, we had hostile mm-hmm. takeover, right? You know, everybody just trying to kill us. Um, and it's super unfortunate because, yes, of course, I work for Qualcomm. And so I may be a little biased, but I can't fathom and imagine why if you understand what we do and who we are and the contributions we've made, that anybody would want to would want to squelch that. Like it, it, not not only for for society and, and and moving society forward from a technology perspective, but just from what that's meant to national security for the US, what that's meant for creating ecosystems around the world, uh, actually creating the opportunity for business sectors and industries to actually pop up and grow. Um, it's it's really it's mind boggling and it's it's a head scratcher for sure. And I think that came through in the end, right? Once, yeah. but but because we hadn't told our story up until that point, others came in and told their story and wove us in and controlled the narrative. And that that's not a good place to be as a company. So I think it it was a lesson learned for the company, and that's where this shift started happening, where. We, we started striking this balance with, hey, yeah, engineering is important. R&D is important. We have to continue to innovate. That's what we're known for. But we also have to tell our story so that we never get ourselves in this position again, right, where someone else is controlling the narrative. And we, mm-hmm. we have to then be on the defense and be reactive instead of being proactive. So it was a hard, tough lesson to learn, but it was an important lesson to learn. And it's really, it really shifted the balance of, of, of how we look at ourselves and how we talk about ourselves. And since then, you know, I've been lucky, both myself and, and Penny Baldwin, my, my predecessor, we had this opportunity to, to start telling the Qualcomm story at a macro level to all the audiences that it's important to tell the Qualcomm story to. And then we had the opportunity to take Snapdragon, which is our power product brand, and really um, continue to drive Snapdragon um, closer to the end consumer um, in, in markets around the world, which we had kind of put on hiatus. Um, as our attention had to shift to kind of fighting those battles. So it, when the dust settled and the sun shone through, right, and the, and, and the litigation was, was settled and everything kind of came our way, um, it was all, it's almost like, wow, we can breathe now. Now let's take a blank sheet of paper and let's sort of create this platform going forward. I'm so fortunate to have a CEO who understands marketing is important, who believes marketing is important, and has, quite frankly, a strong affinity for it. And I talked about this a little bit at CES when I did my panel. Um, I'm an inclusive marketer, right? And, and I don't have all the fear that if I share the, the limelight with another brand that it's going to detract from my brand story. That's not the way I look at things. And maybe it's because I'm the, I'm the brand trying to kind of share the story with. Mm-hmm. But, but, but I think the, the key to that is being able to put together a brand strategy that is complementary. Um, that is that helps amplify, but also is not detracting from your customer's story. So when when I'm telling my story, it should help Samsung tell their story. When I'm telling my story, it should help GM tell their story or Cadillac or Bose, right? Or I mean, our technology is so pervasive across so many product categories or Lenovo or HP or whoever it might be. Um, my story should help them tell their story. My Their success is my success. And that's the way I look at it. And that's how I'm building through Snapdragon. That's how I'm sort of building and navigating the brand space there. Um, and, and then with Qualcomm, it's really all about, you know, government audiences and, and ecosystems and investors and, and telling that broader story about growth, right? And, and where we're headed as a company, not so much 
you know, consumers on the Qualcomm side, but more B2B audiences. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got this bifurcation that I'm working with um, that's been you know, challenging, but kind of fun. We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website, and then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual-first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. Don, you you referenced this in what you just said, but marketing hasn't always been seen as a critical function and business driver within within Qualcomm. And I know this started with Penny, but it's continued with you. You've kind of transformed that, as you said. Marketing is now seen as important, mission critical. This is an engineering company, but marketing has a seat at the table. They're driving the business. The CEO believes in it. So many CMOs struggle with that. So what lessons did you learn You've been there five and a half years to transform the image of marketing internally at Qualcomm to be a real player and a real business driver. Uh, It's a great question. Um, First and foremost, I I focused on building credibility with the business. Um, When I came into the company, marketing had a pretty bad rap. It was some of those things we talked about earlier. There was Mm -hmm. crazy projects that they'd engaged with, with no business objective in mind. Um, that were viewed as a waste of money. Um, there were sponsorship deals that were negotiated poorly um, that were, again, viewed as a waste of money, not helping the business drive their business. Um, so there were a lot of mistakes that were made, um, which, which, which manifested itself into credibility issues for the team. So the first thing I focused on with my team, and this is prior to becoming CMO, when I ran product and technology marketing was we have to build credibility with the business. They have to view us as a partner. We have to step-by-step, little by little, we have to educate them as to why what we do is going to help them. You know, with every press note, with every press release, with every product launch, with every value proposition we create, with every messaging document, with every asset, we have to, we have to show value. And it was really step by step and little by little and really sitting down with the team and saying, everything you do needs to contribute towards the business. First and foremost, you need to understand the business and the products that you're marketing. Uh, you need to build relationships with the GMs and with the product with the product managers. They need to see you as a partner. The GM needs to see the automotive product marketing person as sort of their mini CMO. Um, and, and so we had to build that credibility. That was first and foremost. Um, that took about a year and a half to kind of turn that ship around. Um, and then we started to see the fruits of our labor. We started to see um, light bulbs go off and, and eyes open up and, and the compliments started coming in. Wow, that was a really great execution on what, that was a really great product launch. Don and team, great job. Um, I can't believe you put together this Tech Summit event. What a fantastic event. And I started to open up across the company because it, fundamentally, you know, you have a lot of engineers and a lot of really technical, you know, brilliant people here, but they're proud of what they do and they're proud of the company they work for. And they want to see that manifest itself outside of the walls 
right, of Qualcomm. They want to see it on on logo, on where they want to see it on it manifest itself in, into advertising. And and you know when we announced Snapdragon Stadium a few weeks ago at Cristiano's All Hands, the the eruption of applause from the the people in the room because it's a sense of pride, right? Mm-hmm. They just have a sense of pride, and so and so it took it was a journey. It took a while to get to where we are today, um, but. It, you know, but it was really hard. The team did a fantastic job of building step these step by step. It's almost like brick by brick, building that credibility, which then we could use as a platform to then get a little bit more um, inventive, get a little bit more creative, bring new ideas and new things to the table. But we could never have done that had we not started with there are problems that we need to fix. We have to establish credibility. Marketing has to be seen. To your point, as a, as a, as as a driver, as a partner, and as a, a strong contributory factor to these people succeeding in what they do. But that's what really that's what it took to to shift the shift the winds of change right over to marketing being seen as an important element, an important function within the organization. Um, uh, you know, in, in the mix of how we're going to be successful as a company, and not a um, you know, not, not just a, a press release and a, and a fancy video and a trade show, yeah. uh, which is yeah. kind of how it was viewed in the past. Yeah. You know, Don, I, I saw you in another interview where you were pondering or thinking about what leadership looks like five to 10 years from now. So my question to you is why are you pondering that? <laughs> and, and what do you think should look like or needs to look like five to 10 years from now? So leadership, from my perspective, leadership has to turn a corner and be be less about um, selfishness, uh, agendas, and and divisiveness. It has to be more about empathy, inclusiveness, right? And repair um, and inclusion. And and so um, if if we in business, if we in government, if we in education, and if we as parents or as big brothers or as any figure or as coaches or what name your leadership position, right? Because leadership positions happen all over the place. The, the, the definition of a leader doesn't have to be president of a, na- of, a, of a country or president of a company or CEO of a company. A leader is, is by, by virtue of its definition, is just someone who's leading, right, others, um, uh, and so th- that manifests itself in so many different ways. If everybody could adopt some common principles around what does it mean to lead and, and, and shift the dynamic, I think we could be heading towards a much better place. So talking about five to 10 years from now, I'm hopeful that, uh, you know, leadership at every level, uh, starts lo- taking a step back and, and looking at the, the fact that if they do want to be a leader or if they're responsible for being a leader, that that's a great responsibility. And, um, and they should look at it with some fundamental principles around, around do we want the world to be a better place or not? Right? Because we can fight all day long. We can continue to fight. Um, it, it makes for good television, right? It keeps revenues of certain companies high, um, but it's not going to get us anywhere. Um, and so, um, and so I think the adults in the room have to step up and, and really start looking at this altruistically without agenda. Um, and, and I know that's difficult, um, but, 
the politicization of everything these days is is kind of sickening. I met with a with a um, an agency recently called Lightbeam. Their entire approach they have a bunch of brain scientists that they use, um, and they're and they're flipping the the advertising and the marketing model on its head a little bit. Uh, and, and their their core um, philosophy about how to become better marketers or how to become better brand a better brand is marketing with empathy, mm-hmm. um, and, and and really understanding what that means. And it's all based in brain science. It's all based in how people respond to different stimulus, uh, positive and negative. And and they've built a whole business model around marketing with empathy. I thought it was super interesting and and really enjoyed you know talking with them. But I think we're starting to see this shift, and we're starting to see you know, um, behavior shift. We're starting to see the need being created for, for positive stories and, and for, and for really, um, wanting to move forward and be, and make progress in a positive way. I'm not at the expense of something else. Um, and, and because there's just been far too much of that. Um, and I think people are sick of it and they're tired and I have to bring that into my business life. And I have to bring that into how I look at marketing at Qualcomm and how we develop our messaging and how we talk about our products and and what impact and effect that has on other people and around the world. Um, and that's a, a discipline and, and a thought process that my team and myself, we have to go through every day. Um, and hopefully we're going to do that in a, in a positive way and we're going to set an example and, and, and we're going to move the ball in a good direction. Don, let's wrap this great conversation up with a few questions in the creator brief section, sure. which I always close my podcast with. First one is, who's the most inspiring person in your life? Um, most inspiring person in my life. Wow. I don't want to piss anybody off. <laughs> um, uh, I would have to say um, it's my mother. Yeah. She's like this five foot tall Italian woman who's just, you know, unconditional love and has like navigated my father, four boys and two male dogs, an all male cast, right? And 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 it really kind of was was the the strength and the glue that kind of held the family together and and persevered through a lot of a di- lot of different a- adversity and um and she's a she's like a rock. So who's been your most influential business mentor? Uh, my both my most influential business men- mentor has been a woman named Sue Swenson. Um, Sue, I worked for Sue a couple different times in my career. Um, she has been CEO of many companies. Um, she came from the Pactel. Um, she grew up in the Pactel sort of system. Um, she's retired now, sits on some boards, lives here in San Diego, and we have we have coffee um, on a regular basis. But she has been the most influential business person on my career over the long haul. Uh, Cristiano may, may end up being a very influential person in my career. Um, he is fantastic. But uh, but Sue Swenson over the long haul, I think, has been probably what's the best advice she's ever given you. Um, The best advice she's ever given me is um, the how you do it is almost as important as the what you do. That's great. Yeah, because I'm a very results oriented person. But early on in my career, she sat me down and said, you achieve great results, but you can't be a bull in a china shop. You can't leave a a. A, a, a you know carnage in your path. You gotta focus on the how you do things, um, as as well as the what you do, and that made a huge impression on me. And, and it shifted my behavior um, early on in my career. And, and I, I, get, I I thank her for that. Are you a New Year resolution kind of guy? Do you have any resolutions for twenty twenty two? No, 
I, my resolutions have been stacked up for several years. So <laughs> I, I, I've, I've kind of stopped kidding myself. Um, I like to start, I, I kind of like to push the reset button and, and start mm-hmm. fresh on a, on a, on a more frequent basis than just every new year. Um, uh, everyone kind of ebbs and flows. Um, but, uh, but I, you know, I'm looking forward to, um, if you look at it from a calendar perspective, I'm just looking for everybody's sake. I'm looking forward to 2022, hopefully moving in a, in a very positive direction. Don, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. I hope we can meet each other in San Diego sometime. Yeah, absolutely. And have a coffee or a hot chocolate or a craft beer or whatever. Sure. I'm up for any of those, all in any of those, for sure. Yeah, I'd, lo- I'd love to, to hook up in, in person. Thank you for having me. Um, I love doing things like this. Um, and so, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. Have a happy new year and, and I hope we see you soon. Thank you, Don. That was my conversation with Don McGuire. Three takeaways from this wide-ranging and personal discussion with Don. First, marketing simply must have credibility in your company. Don tells a great story of how he and his predecessor built marketing into a business driver in a function that has true credibility. How did he do that? Well, a few things, but the most important one is to ensure that every marketing activity, every marketing strategy is directly linked to the business strategies. Second takeaway, You simply must tell your own story, tell your own narrative versus others telling your story. For many years, Qualcomm was a quiet company. They partnered with a lot of companies. They let their partners shine, but it became increasingly important for them to tell their own story so that people understood what kind of company they are trying to create and build for its customers, its employees, and for the world. Third takeaway, leadership and how leadership must change in the years ahead. Don feels very strongly that great leaders need to have empathy, need to be inclusive, and need to focus on repair because there has been a lot of damage done over the past several years in people's lives. This was a masterclass in leadership looking forward. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribe so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.